James chapter 4. I'm reading one verse of Scripture. That verse being verse 6. But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Notice the twofold reference to grace there. Let's read it again. But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I have been meditating on some of God's precious promises. And often, after I've chewed on something for a while, it works its way towards the pulpit. And I'd like to preach this morning on a promise regarding grace. Now, let me begin by saying it's, it's impossible to say what ought to be said about such a big subject in one little sermon. I am not a, a part of the earth-loving movement, but I live in the mountains and I am constantly observing. People are, are always uh, loving the outdoors. I don't know that they're all worshiping God, but it seems that they're worshiping nature. And uh, I'm not a mountain climber. I live in the mountains, but I never have had a desire to climb or hug around on the mountains or trees. I do not get warm, fuzzy feelings by hugging trees. Enough said on the negative side. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be impossible to hug a mountain with one hug, you'll have to come back several Saturdays and several Sundays to embrace the mountains. And it would be impossible for me to hug this big subject of the grace of God in one sermon. Maybe we can come back again and hug it on another occasion, but I do want to Embrace it a bit here this morning. I'd like to examine it in this light of a promise regarding grace. Let, let me admit secondly, not only is the subject too big for this one service, but it, it is amazing to me that this subject of grace, a promise like this, is found in the book of James. Grace not only works in, but it works out. And it is manifested in our works. However, I am a bit amazed that in this book where so much emphasis is put on the practical experience, that right here we have this great promise regarding grace. 
it at first seems to be out of place. But you know, and I know, that the Christian life cannot be what it ought to be practically apart from constant infusions of grace into our lives. He giveth more grace. He giveth grace unto the humble. And so here is a word in somewhat a strange setting about a big subject, the grace of God. I must add thirdly, that I cannot define this subject as I would like to define it. I have used every definition that I can find over the years, preaching every night like I do. I, I don't like to say the same thing over and over and over. I like to come at it a little different way. It refreshes my heart when I'm able to approach it a somewhat different, from a different vantage point. But I've, after using all the definitions and acrostics and uh, catchy phrases, I realize there's something mysterious uh, about this great subject of grace. It's to be received, but I don't know that it could ever be explained. But I would like to say a word or two about it, as it is stated here. I want to begin by pointing out that in this phrase, but He giveth more grace. The idea is that there is greater grace or larger portions of grace. And I want to use that to preach for a few moments on this promise being a promise with manifold considerations. There's much to consider here. There's a lot to view. There's a great resource to observe. It's a promise with manifold considerations. Notice firstly, the source of grace is to be considered. But He giveth more grace. It isn't that you just bump into it. It isn't that you just come up on it. But it issues from God Himself. He giveth more grace. Now, if I understand this, this uh, grammatical approach, we need to find out who the He is here. The name God is not used in the first phrase. It just says, but He. And so we go back to the last person who has been mentioned. And in verse 4, He talks about friendship of the world, or with the world, being enmity with God. And He said, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. When we come to the text, he says, but he, who? This God that has been referred to, giveth more grace. This name for God here is the word throughout the New Testament that refers to the supreme being. 
the one who is over all, the cause and source of everything. And here he is referred to as the source of grace. But he, this supreme being, this one who is above all others, this one who gives it because he has it, he giveth more grace. As we consider several wonderful truths. Notice, secondly, not only should the source be considered, but the supplies should be considered. We're not only told that He give, that He giveth more grace, which indicates much, a larger amount, a greater amount, but the word giveth carries with it the idea of He, the supreme being, bestowed. He grants it. He furnishes it. Or the word I'm using, He supplies more grace. He's not only the source of grace, but He is the supplier. Uh, we don't have to worry about grace running out. Because the supplier is the God of all grace. He bestows it with His free love. He grants it uh, with His unrestrained faith. He giveth more grace. When our daughter moved to Kansas several years ago to finish up some of her schooling, we were looking for a furnished apartment. Thankfully, we found one that uh, was not close to the BTK killer. Uh, but uh, the Lord was merciful and watched over her during that time. But uh, I say we found a furnished apartment. I want to tell you, God doesn't send down empty provisions to His people. But He furnishes the rooms of life with grace and more grace. Added grace. He giveth more grace. Not only is the source of grace to be considered, and the supplies of grace to be considered. But the storehouse of grace is to be considered. He giveth more grace. Now the word here is rendered favor in other texts. Loving kindness seems to be the predominant term. He giveth more favor. Can you imagine a God who knows that we are worldlings by nature and we love the world and therefore we were an enemy of God? Can you imagine that that God would show favor towards the likes of us? But He giveth more grace. He giveth more favor. He giveth more loving 
kindness. It would have been enough if it had just been love. Or it would have been enough if the word was, He just giveth more kindness. But He giveth more loving kindness. He giveth more grace. More favor. More goodwill. The idea here is that God is not frowning towards His people. But He joys in sharing. He rejoices in ministering. And so the storehouse is full. He giveth more. The the reservoir never gets low. For years we had city water. Since I live in the city limits of Saluda, we had city water. And uh, being a a small town, people, you know, you had to hire people to check the water. And it got pretty rough there on a case. But it was a good day for us in Saluda when... uh, we were able to tap into the Hendersonville water line. We, we didn't have to worry about any tadpoles in the bathtub with us. Uh, we, we, we didn't have to worry about our big red clod of dirt coming through, you know. I, I'm saying, I, I like a, a full reservoir. I'm not interested in getting down to the dregs at the bottom of the reservoir. Ah, the pipeline is running forcefully. The pipeline of God's free grace is running authoritatively. It's not going down. The treasury is full. I heard this past week of how many churches, a high, large percentage of churches that went bankrupt last year in our country. The treasury apparently was not uh, uh, confirmed and reconfirmed. But here we're told that God giveth more grace. His treasury is full. There's an abundance of, of grace found in God's storehouse. As those in Egypt in the time of famine, or those in the Canaan land in a time of famine found corn in Joseph's treasure houses in Egypt, so you and I, when our hearts are heavy and our spirits hungry, we find grace in God's storehouse. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. This is a promise with manifold considerations. Oh, what a gracious God is our God. But hold it. There's another lesson taught in this verse. More sobering truth. God resisteth the proud. God resisteth the proud. I would say secondly then, this is not only a promise with manifold considerations, a lot to consider, 
but this is a promise with military implications. Uh, this, this got a hold of me. This word resisteth is a military term. It indicates one military force in set in array or set in opposition to another military force. Well, who is God setting up against? Who is it that God's opposing? God resisteth, or He opposes. He sets Himself in array against the proud. Now, I'd like to analyze that uh, in a threefold way. First of all, if God resisteth the proud, then we must see Him as the great commander in this army. Whether we realize it or not, God is able to set up blockades in our lives. To me, the indication here is the proud think they're doing fine, but God is cutting their supply line off in the past. And they're not going to get what they need in this battle. They're going to come short. They're going to grow weak. They're going to become prey to the enemy because of their foolish pride. God is the great commander. Somebody says, well, nobody can do anything about the way I'm living. Hold it. God is the great authority. God is the great commander-in-chief. And He resisteth the proud God, the great authority. Then notice, secondly, there's not only the implication of God and His authority, but there's the implication of God as an adversary. God resisteth. Now, I had much I had much more quote that text that says, If God be for us, who can be against us? And though it isn't stated, the fact is as well, if God be against us, who can be for us? I don't want God as my adversary. I don't want God setting Himself in array against me, do you? Uh, you pick up enough enemies in life. Uh, you know, I heard a man say when I first started traveling, he, he was an old-timer. In fact, I just met his brother recently. Again, I hadn't seen him in about 30 years. And we had some good talk about him. But I heard this dear old preacher say, when I was just getting started in evangelism, I would have been probably about 22. And uh, Brother Harold Hanley stood and said in a meeting, he said, I can count my friends on one hand. And I thought, man, he must have a personality problem. He may have B.O. Body odor. There's something wrong with him Paul he's got five friends. Of course, that was a long time ago. Now I understand what he was saying. 
You have a lot of acquaintances. But you only have a few dyed-in-the-wool friends who'll love you when you're at your worst. (laughs) I've got enough enemies. I don't want God against me. But here we're sad that God gets against, He sets Himself against the proud. God resisteth the proud. This word proud indicates haughty. Those who have a high estimate of themselves. They see themselves above others. Or they set themselves up above others. I I have sort of given, this is the Hayes translation, forgive me here, of the verse. It seems to me that God is saying, the proud set themselves up above everybody else, and therefore I have to set myself in array against them. They set themselves up, I'm setting myself against. God resisteth the proud. I might add here the phrase, but giveth grace, and I'm going to spend a little more time with that in a moment, but we can't divorce it from this context. He resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace to the humble. The picture here then is God, it is not only implied that God is the authority, And it's not only implied that God is an adversary, but it is implied that God is an ally to the humble. That word humble indicates not rising far from the ground. Now those that estimate themselves very highly God resists them. He becomes their adversary. But those who don't rise too far above the ground in an estimation of themselves, God becomes their ally. God helps them. He cuts the proud off at the pass. But for the humble, God zooms in more supplies. He drops out more rations. He, he's sending in more artillery. He, he's refreshing the people who humble themselves before His mighty hand. Uh, those who will not rise far above the ground in themselves will rise in God's blessings and time. He's their ally. Boy, I want Him to be my ally. I'd rather Him be my ally than my adversary. I was preaching up in Virginia, may have been West Virginia, uh, for a while I was covering that area a lot, but this big old raw bone boy looked like all he'd ever done is haul hay. He was about 19 or 20, but Lord, what a frame on a boy. And uh, he came one night just sort of plowed in the altar. And I went down there to him and he was just crying. I said, son, why did you come? He said, preacher, 
he said, it seems like I can't get by with anything. He said, God just messes everything up for me that I try to do. He said, I've just come to surrender to him. I said, that's what he wants you to do. That's what he wants you to do. I'd rather him be for me than against me. <laughs> oh, Lord. Here is a promise with manifold considerations. There's a lot to consider. Here's a promise with military implications. There's a lot of truth implied here about God. I want Him to be my, ad, my ally, not my adversary. Then notice that last phrase in the context. But God giveth, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. In verse 7, bounces off of that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The idea is, if you want grace, then you better mortify the flesh. Deny yourself and get down low. Thirdly then, this promise is not only one with manifold considerations and a promise with military implications, but it's a promise with mortifying applications. I cannot think more highly of myself than I ought to think. If I'm a recipient of grace, I must humble myself. I must get down low and not think highly of myself. Somebody said, well, I tell you, I just don't understand why God blesses those people. I'm trying to live right, trying to be clean. It seems like God's not blessing me. I just don't. Well, maybe you're thinking you're too good a Christian. God resisteth pride on every level. But He giveth grace to that crowd that gets down low. So it seems to me that application is threefold. Firstly, the Lord says, I want you to see down here where I bless. I want you to look down here. See down in this low spot where I bless. I give grace to the humble. That crowd that will get down low, they experience grace. See, look down. Could somebody here this morning maybe look down there where God blesses the humble? It's down low. See down into this area where I bless. And then God seems not only to say, you need to see some things down here where I bless, but you need to stoop down to where I bless. Crawl down off of that high horse and get down low. Get down low, He said. Stoop down. Here's the one the Lord's been dealing with me about. He said He resisteth, that's constantly, the proud, but giveth, that's constantly. Grace unto the humble. Seems to me that He's saying you not only need to see down here where grace abounds and stoop down here where grace abounds, but you need to stay down here. Stay down here where grace abounds. I live on top of Saluda Mountain. My property is, it's all twisted and gnarled, just about like a root rock. 
We got our house sitting, I guess, on the best spot. But it's up and down and over here and there. And, uh, the back side of my property joins the railroad. Steepest grade in the east from Saluda down to Trial. And uh, my land goes right up to the track there. And the railroad... The railroad put a big culvert under the track because there are little rivulets of water coming out of our property that collect down at the bottom. And then my brother's property is is over here, and it's a, he's got one large stream coming out of his, and it all gathers down here. And then there's a few rivulets coming out of my uncle's property. And it all comes down to this spot, the bottom of our properties. And goes through that culvert, drops out on the other side of the railroad track and forms what we know as the headwaters of Packlet River. Packlet River has been a big trout fishing stream in our area for years, but Packlet twists off down the side of the mountain and goes down into the edge of South Carolina and bumps into the Saluda River. The Saluda River winds all the way through South Carolina. It goes down uh, to Lake Marion. Then it goes down to Lake Greenwood. Then it goes down to Lake Murray up above Columbia. Then it goes back across I-26 down there. Becomes the Santee River. And Santee empties out. Uh, into the Atlantic Ocean. Of course, you, some of you probably done jumped ahead of me. What, what I was going to say is, there wouldn't even be an Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean if it wasn't for my property. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you believe that. No, here's the point I want to make, is that water keeps going down comes down from our property, goes down the side of the mountain, goes down through South Carolina, goes down uh, to uh, eventually crosses over into Santee and into the Atlantic Ocean. It keeps going down. Grace is somewhat like water. It always collects at the lowest point. And I said, oh, child, pray for me. I need grace. I need God to pour His grace. Get down. Stoop down there. And stay down there. Why, you liable to have an Atlantic Ocean of grace come sweeping through. Sometimes it may just be a little trickle here or there, or a little river, a big river, or a big lake. But I want to tell you, God said that He giveth more grace. He resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace to the humble. Oh, that somehow God would help us to hear this promise regarding grace and mortify our flesh, humble ourselves, that we might receive abundant grace. Even in these days of meeting, wouldn't it be blessed if God had run a big river through here? 
He resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace to the humble. Would you stand with me, please? You've been kind to let me just pour out my heart. 